As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman for our second episode of the week. Usually you feel like we just go straight from the games on Saturday to next weekend's games, but uh, everything changed, Bruce, on Monday. USC firing Clay Helton just two games into the season. We had a lot of listeners, at least I did, tweet and say, Wow, guys, I, ju- I was just listening to you talk about whether or not he might get fired, and he just got fired. Um, I guess maybe you and I were not as surprised as some people that this would happen when it did. I don't know how you couldn't be surprised. He's been on the hot seat for three years, and they got whipped at home by a Stanford team that everybody thinks is pretty mediocre that looked awful the week before. Everybody, you know, we talked about this the other day. Everybody flocked from the Coliseum. You know, they were ripping the Band-Aid off. That's about it. It didn't shock me at all. I just, uh, I think if you're not following it closely, if you're not a USC fan, you might not realize how dire the situation had gotten. Um, it, I mean, it's. It, it, I don't want to relive the Clay Helton part of it too much, but, uh, you know, <laughs> I think it was Ralph Russo who shared a screenshot of um, uh, Mike Bone, the AD, did a, like a Facebook live or an inst- in some, some sort of live chat. It's their, it's their Trojan live show that they do on, they do on Monday nights. Okay. And so you can see the user comments scrolling through and it was like a celebration. Uh, you know, they were dancing on the guy's grave and I realized that, you know what? And, and you had made the point, right? Like if they kept him, there were going to be all these empty seats. Usually when a school fires a coach in the middle of the season, you're kind of punting on that season, right? Until you can get the next coach. Not here. These fans are more energized for the season now than they were two weeks ago. Like they don't, we don't even know if Dante Williams, the interim coach, will be any good. It's just something new to be excited about instead of being stuck in this three-year purgatory where everybody knew this would end at some point. So obviously, the I don't know if you want to say downside, but the the effect of firing a coach two weeks into the season is we're probably going to get tweets and rumors every day for the next three months. 
about who the next USC coach is going to be. Uh, since Monday, we've seen um, Adam Schefter tweet that NFL sources believe Eric Bieniemy will become a candidate. We've seen Urban Meyer flat out get asked at his press conference whether he might leave the Jaguars for USC. He shot that down. So the question is, of all the names that are being thrown about there, which ones are real possibilities and which ones aren't? So I'm going to throw a few names at you, okay? Mm-hmm. Well, let's start right with the one that uh, that Schefter put out there. Eric Bieniemy, Chiefs Offensive Coordinator. Heard this from somebody uh, dialed in on the NFL front on Monday night. Um, my skepticism on it was the timing would be awkward because he, he coaches for a team that has Super Bowl aspirations, and we know there's an early signing period. And it's not what it was in terms of the early signing period is a much different dynamic than it was a couple of years ago on timing, especially for a program that has fired a coach in early September. Uh, he has no head coaching experience. Then there's this part of it is the USC AD Mike Bone. He's, he knows Eric Bieniemy pretty well from his time at Colorado. Um, I'm not convinced Mike Bone would go first-time head coach. Also, you know, I don't know about the, his feelings on Eric Bieniemy as I'm seeing as he's going to be the face of the USC program. So I'm a little skeptical of Eric Bieniemy being the head coach at USC. Eric Bieniemy should be an NFL head coach. He probably should have been an NFL head coach already. But yeah, Mike Bone was the AD when John Embry became the head coach and Eric Bieniemy was on the staff and they got fired after two disastrous seasons. So hard to picture him then turning around and making him the, the head coach of one of the most prestigious programs in the country. Urban Meyer. Oh, uh, this one's a wild one to me where with Urban, he is the most unpredictable figure in coaching. Because how he feels about something today could change a 180 tomorrow. Like, this is the same guy who retired at Florida and then a day later walked it back in such a staggering, mind-boggling function because they had a good practice. Or he was like, you know, it was just so bizarre, some of the stuff with Urban. Now, here's the things I, I do believe. I don't think Urban and his wife, I don't think they want to live in Los Angeles full time. I don't think he wants to jump into that. He's with the Jaguars now. I think how he feels now, look, they got whipped by what a lot of people think was the worst team in the NFL, the Houston Texans and the opener. If he's one and eight or if he's 0 and nine or 0 and six, I'm not sure if he's going to be looking at the NFL. Like it's hard to predict how that kind of that kind of uh, attrition is going to affect him. I know this, though. Last year, he could have been a head coach at Texas, which is a good job. In a conference, I think he probably thought, I can dominate there. But he was looking at the specter of NIL. I don't think he felt like being a head coach in college football was that attractive to him. I don't know if, if going to the NFL and getting his butt kicked every week would change his purview of that. My guess is right now, there's no chance of him, you know, right now he sees there's no chance I want to be there. Even if that, okay, so let's say, I, I agree with you, but let's say that they go 1-15 and 15 and at the end of the season or towards the end of the season, Urban's like, I made a huge mistake. This is not, I'm not cut out for this or I don't like it. I want back in college. And he calls up USC or his agent calls up USC. Are we sure USC 
As great a college coach as Urban was, three national titles, are we sure USC, which has had its share of scandals over the last few years, is would want to make an offer to a coach who has had quite a few scandals under his watch? I think that is a very valid point to raise. From what I was told a couple of years ago, Carol Folt, the president of USC, did not want to touch Urban Meyer as part of that process. When USC fans were clamoring for him when he was working here out here in Los Angeles for Fox and he was not coaching a team, that they were like, oh, this is a no-brainer. She did not want anything to do with him as the face of the program. Now, as you said, we're not just talking about scandals, athletic department-wise. We're not talking even about the Aunt Becky scandal. We're talking about some other stuff that was really ugly, sexual assault scandals, and some really bad things that were going on university-wide. The idea that USC would then turn around and hire Urban Meyer as the most public hire um, for Carol Folt, I think is something she knew that would be really bad PR. Because as you said, it wasn't that far removed from the Zach Smith scandal that happened on Urban Meyer's watch. And remember, Urban did did uh, get suspended for three games from that. So, you know, has time changed that? I'm not so sure it has. Carol Folt is still in charge. I don't know if I see that direct them going in that direction, even if Urban wanted to go in that direction. There was actually a long, well-reported story on the site Defector this week by Diana Moskovitz revisiting the Courtney Smith, Zach Smith, Ohio State situation, most of which, if you followed at the time, you, you obviously know a lot of that, but there were some new details. There were some new documents that were turned over, and the degree to which Urban seemed either completely oblivious or just didn't care about um, the woman who was the uh, domestic abuse victim in that story, I just think it would be very hard for the president of a school that is trying to, you know, change its image uh, to justify that hiring. I think, it, I think it's good for them, uh, if, if that is the case, if we believe that's her stance, then it is probably good for them that he did take the Jaguars job last year and that he's not still sitting at Fox because if he was, that's the only name anyone there would be. They would be spending the entire three months waiting for the season to end so we can get Urban Meyer and if she or just the administration in general had no interest in him, it would be very uncomfortable. So at least he's got a job, he's occupied, and people can maybe turn their attention to some other names. Okay, one you're hearing a lot right now in light of last weekend's big win over Ohio State, Mario Cristobal. All right, let's start with, with one big thing. Of all the guys we're going to talk about, he has the biggest buyout. It's $9 million. It goes down to $6.5 million uh, in the middle of January. But USC is not going to wait till the middle of January to hire their new coach. So we're just, let's talk with $9 million. They were already pay, having to pay Clay Helton $10 million, And that doesn't even get into the fact of rest of the staff and the new guy, what he's going to get paid. Um, I don't think that is a deal breaker. Mario Cristobal is 4-1 against top 10 opponents in his last five games, big games. He's beaten USC. He's beaten USC a lot in Southern California for top recruits. Those are significant things, and as you mentioned, he's coming off the biggest win of the season thus far, where they go in without Kayvon Thibodeau, without a couple other other starters on defense, and they whip Ohio State. They outcoach them, right? So in Columbus, 
that, you know, his name is really hot. I know there's some influential USC people who really want Mario Cristobal for all those reasons. Um, I also know this, Cristobal is very excited, not just about this team. He thinks they're going to be great in 2022 and in 2023. Uh, The question is, as well as he has recruited there, there's way more recruits in your backyard if you're the head coach at USC. People have won national titles at USC. They've come close at Oregon. Chip Kelly came close. Mark Helfrich came close. Even Mike Bellotti, actually, you know, wasn't that far off from playing for a national title. Um, my guess is it would be tough to get him to leave. Like, I always thought if Mario was going to leave uh, Oregon, it would actually be for Miami because it's home, not because UM could pay him more. Right. Because it can't. But I think there is Manny, something. Manny Diaz is not exactly on solid ground. He is not. He is not. And when, when that job came open a couple of years ago when Mark Rick left, Mario's buyout was in the double digits and the timing was really bad. He was just about to coach his team in a bowl game like the next day. And it was the, I don't know what we were calling it, the Foster Farms Red Box Bowl, whatever it was at the time. They were playing Michigan State. Timing was, it was it was kind of a non-starter. Miami had to move fast and they ended up hiring Manny Diaz who'd been there. Um, I don't know. Like, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a, it's a slam dunk that he would take it if he was offered it. I also don't think it's like, oh, there's no way Mario Cristobal would consider it because because things are, you know, Oregon is the same level job. I mean, I think he knows the recruiting aspects of it. Yes, he's recruited really well going into Southern California. One of the reasons why he is, one of the reasons why he's been able to get so many good players out of Southern California is because USC's head coach has been on the hot seat for three years. If James Franklin or somebody else, you know, very comparable or close to that is the head coach at USC. It's going to be a lot harder to get players out of there than it is with Clay Helton being on the hot seat for so long. First of all, how dare you crap on the Red Box Bowl like that? Mario Cristobal in his own press conference after the big win the other day, without, without prompt, he was answering a question I asked him, but without prompting brought up that famous seven to six game. You and I were both there for it. Uh, against Michigan State and how proud they were of the way they won that game and that you can basically draw a direct line from that game all the way up to Saturday's game in terms of how he built I'm just glad Mario and the Oregon Ducks in their enthusiasm did not take down the stage because me and the Red Box CEO would have gone down with the stage at that (laughs) point too because they were so enthusiastic. The poor Red Box Bowl or what was the Red Box Bowl has been canceled again this year um, so there will be no... San Francisco bowl game here for the second straight year. Anyway, yeah, if I'm Mario Cristobal, honestly, I, I, I do it. First of all, he's going to, if no other reason, you got to entertain it because, I mean, by the time this is all said and done, the guy's going to be able to buy a new house with the with the leverage he'll have. Uh, but, yeah, if I'm looking at it from his shoes right now, I'm going, what do I need USC for? I, I've got a program. I've recruited well enough that I've got now got my program in a place where we can go beat one of the best teams in the country on the road. We can be in playoff contention. Um, I think a lot of people there feel like they're maybe a year away from being national title contention. Why go to a place that, you know, everybody just assumes has that potential? I think they have that potential, but it's been a long time since someone actually did it. And in fact, Pete Carroll is the only national championship coach there in the last 40 years. Um, But he's, well, well, at the very least, he's a more legitimate candidate than the ones we mentioned before. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, a name you said in passing, James Franklin. Yeah, I've always thought he was the obvious candidate for USC in the recent past. You know, you and I have talked obviously a lot about his merits as a coach. The Vanderbilt job that he did, I would put up with any turnaround job anybody's done. Um, They hadn't been ranked in 60 years, and in his three years there, they were in the top 25 twice. Then he goes to Penn State, and that was a program that was reeling. And not only does he get them a Big Ten title, but he's had three top tw- three top ten finishes in the past five years. They had gone twenty years w- without that many top ten finishes. So I think he would like. And I think you'll agree with me on this. I think it's like there is a star power aspect of the USC job. Like a lot of the the people around here, and certainly the former USC people, I think they never accepted Clay Helton as seeing he does not feel like he should be the head coach at USC. I think that was one of the issues with Ed Ogeron. He won, and the players loved him, but I think there was a lot of people around USC go, eh, he doesn't feel like he should be the head coach at USC. James Franklin has the presence where you could say, oh, I can definitely see him fitting in and flourishing in on this stage. Uh, he's got a really good job, like much like what we're talking about with with Cristobal, he's got a really good job at a program that has, you know, obviously big time football history. But that to me, and this is a little different than what Mario's situation is, I think James Franklin, as good of the job as Penn State is, USC's a better job, you know, for two reasons, I would say. One, there are way more recruits in a two hour drive from USC than there are in Happy Valley. It's not even close. And two, there's no Ohio State in the Pac-12 South, right? And even on a third thing, James Franklin, yes, he's a Pennsylvania guy, but he's been at that program seven or eight years now. He's done a really good job. But at the same time, it's like, how long do you stay at a program where it doesn't start to get a little stale? And I wonder if that timing might be ideal for him. So, and that's kind of how I lay it. I mean, if if I'm USC, I'm thinking I know his I know his resume, I know what he's done, I know that he's gotten them. You know, he's restored a program that was that had really kind of lost its way and got them back to a to a Rose Bowl. I I would think he's the guy who is the most the home run hire that they could get. When people bring up Pennsylvania native part of him as like why he wouldn't go, I kind of I kind of roll my eyes because. Yeah, he may be a Pennsylvania native. He's not the most appreciated Pennsylvania native there. You know, he's he's never fully won over that fan base. And certainly after last year, you know, a lot of um, negativity came back. Now, I know he's he's putting together a pretty amazing recruiting class right now. And, and maybe that's a reason to stay, to, to 
you know, ride that out. But I don't know. I think if USC comes calling, that'd be very tempting, especially if he's willing to be the, so when he was at Vanderbilt, I mean, he was Mr. Showman, Mr. Salesman, because it was a program you have to sell to get people even in Nashville interested in. When he got to Penn State, he didn't need to do that anymore. He's actually been kind of a, it's kind of a, a fortress around there. If you went to USC, because I actually believe, I wrote about this in the mailbag today, I, when I think about Pete Carroll and what distinguished him from some of these other coaches, he embraced LA and everything about it uh, and made USC football into basically LA's team. Now, there were no NFL teams there then. That definitely played a factor. But, you know, the, the celebrity aspect of it, the Hollywood aspect of it, he had a big personality. And I think the next coach needs to be, some, you know, you can't, there's only one Pete Carroll, but it needs to be, it's why it's hard for me, frankly, to picture a Luke Fickle or a Matt Campbell who are great football coaches, but who do not have those big outsized personalities. I'm going to throw one more name at you because I, because uh, I just threw it out there in the mailbag because I was thinking of who, who fits that criteria. PJ Fleck. PJ Fleck. Um, PJ Fleck's done a nice job at Minnesota. I don't know how PJ Fleck's persona would fit at, you know, I've mentioned PJ Fleck and asked some USC people about what they thought of that. The responses haven't been great. Um, I think there, I think PJ Fleck is, is authentic. I think there's a lot of people who do not think PJ Fleck is authentic. And there is a vibe that people get if when you ask them, they feel like it feels like a motivational speaker a little bit. Um, I think what, what is it? What will be interesting to see, and look, there's a lot of season left to play. PJ Fleck is 15 and 20 in Big Ten play since he's been there. He's in the easier side of the conference. And by the way, it's not like Minnesota is the dregs of of a conference. This isn't the Vanderbilt of like it wasn't like Jerry Kill didn't win a bunch of games there. Like I don't. I mean, yes, PJ Fleck took over a program that was reeling from a lot of lot of bad stuff off the field i i agree on that part but i don't know you know and i'm not saying if pj fleck ended up with the job like i can't see pj fleck being usc's first or second choice though like if if james franklin wants the job you're not hiring pj fleck over james franklin if mario cristobal wants the job you're not and honestly if matt campbell wants the job i don't think you're hiring pj fleck over him um, I think he would have to have another big season this year. And look, like the, the first game of the season has been viewed more as a referendum on Ohio State's defense, especially after what we saw last week. Maybe it's a sign Minnesota might be pretty good. I don't know. I don't think, you know, he had one great season at Western Michigan and one great season at Minnesota. I don't know that you can, if they go seven and five, I don't know that you can necessarily, which even if, necessarily honestly, even believe if they go, he's a good enough coach to, to be at USC. Even if they go eight and four, I'm not sure... Like, if you look at their schedule, who they've got left, Stu, you're going to talk about, like, it's not, you know, it's not like they're playing Penn State. I don't even think they play Michigan. Um, it's not like it's going to be this murderer's row where people are going to be like, yeah, he's winning these games against big opponents. I think, I don't know, of the of the high, of the the people that I think would get consideration, I think he would be a mid-level second-tier candidate. Well, all I mean, in all, like, I think how, this, like, let me ask you this. Do you think I'm making too much? going on PJ. No, but just one. Do you think I'm making too much of the fact that the guy is 15 and 20 in the Big no, Ten? No, of course not. He, he, like I said, he's had these isolated great seasons, and I do think he's a really good coach. But to justify, for USC to justify hiring him, 
He's got to do more than that. And but all of this discussion just points to the thing that um, there's going to segue into our next discussion, which is before we get there, can I throw one other name at you? Uh, somebody I know in the conference made a threw out a name to me on Tuesday, and I thought it was an interesting one. I hadn't thought of it, and now I'm kind of like, eh, that's actually a, that's actually an interesting one. BYU coach Kalani Satake. Wow. What do you think? It's interesting how last time we thought the job was going to come open, everybody was talking about Kyle Whittingham, and we've now flipped to the other Holy War coach. Uh, I like it. Um, I'm interested to see how BYU does the rest of the season. They certainly had a great win this past weekend over Utah. Because as great as a season as they had last year, as we know, it, a lot of those wins came against Sunbelt and whatnot teams. They're playing, you know, they've already beaten two Pac-12 teams. They've got another big game this week against ASU. If they have a really good season this year against that schedule after losing Zach Wilson, I think it means he's a heck of a coach. And uh, Do you know who they play late in the year, by the way? SC. There you go. End of the year, right? Yeah, I don't know if he'd want to leave because obviously, as you well know, BYU is now better positioned with it going to the Big 12, but he knows the league and his teams play really hard. And Anybody who's around Kalani Satake comes away very impressed and likes him a lot and feels like, man, that we, that guy, we, that guy's got something to him. We've talked a lot in the last, last week about what, you know, what an amazing 24, 48 hours BYU had there by getting the Big 12 invite and then beating Utah. They're not going to let you back on the radio in that state, are they, after us talking about this? <laughs> No, no, no. I, no, I'm. You said you don't know if he's going. To, if Kalani Satake actually gets offered the USC job and turns it down to stay at BYU, then BYU is having. I don't care who wins the national championship, Alabama, whatnot. BYU has had the best 2021 of any football program. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Um, real quick, I mean, we want people to go to The Athletic to read this. And you can go to theathletic.com slash the audible to get 50% off an annual subscription. But man, the talk of the internet today on Wednesday is that you, Max Olson, Andy Staples, and Ari Wasserman teamed up on very short notice in light of the USC job coming open and polled over 100 coaches in college football, like in a, basically in like 12 hours, to get the definitive ranking, because it's you, you know, I can throw mine out, you can throw your out. Here is what the profession considers to be the top five jobs in college football. I'm just going to list them off. I encourage people to go to the article to read uh, many more details. And of course, we, we get into, or you guys get into more than just the top five, but also who finished uh, after that. But anyway, number one, not a real surprise, Alabama. Number two, also not a surprise, Ohio State. Number three might raise your eyebrows a little bit. Coaches believe the third best job in college football 
is Georgia, followed by Texas, and rounding it out at number five, LSU. Georgia is an interesting one to me. I can't imagine if you had done this exercise pre-Kirby Smart that that would have been a top five job. Do you think that speaks to how much he has elevated the profile of that program, or or was it us that were sleeping on it all along and the coaches have always you know, desired the Georgia job? I think it's probably a combination of both. I also think there's something to be said for there's more – like a lot of coaches have always believed there was big time talent there, but you just look at the last draft. Where did Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields grow up? Um, you know, there's 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 a lot of really good quarterbacks. There's a lot of everything that comes from from Georgia. So I think that is a big factor. I also think their commitment to playing football, highest level, they are throwing a ton of money at it. People see that. The part where I think it's a little bit of a negative is just they haven't won a national title in like 40 years and so i think people look at they're going well they've been close but um i'm not surprised that it was considered a top five job like that to me like when the responses we were getting it was interesting you kind of look at it individually some of them because they're coming in in a flurry and the text you're getting back in the, in the you know dms but i guess i wasn't very surprised where, where georgia was ranked in this i think that one factor that hasn't, you know, you would think has nothing to do with football, but actually has a lot to do with recruiting is population shifts. And, you know, for instance, a job like Michigan, Penn State, uh, those jobs 30 years ago, when before kind of the population of the country started migrating south, uh, you know, were, were probably uh, easier places to win at. And no, well, I don't know about no, I'm not a demographics. One of the most, one of the areas that has boomed the most in the last 25, 30 years is, is definitely Atlanta. I lived there in the late 90s, early 2000s, and it was already seemed like it was being, something new was being built everywhere. And, you know, I go back now and it's even unrecognizable from then. And yeah, you have this whole generation of, of families that have moved there and suddenly the, the, the pool of recruits is much deeper than it used to be. So uh, I can absolutely see why they feel that way. Um, and if Georgia, if this is the year, right, if this is the year they do it and they pull it off and they win the national title, uh, nobody's ever going to debate that again. Again, I encourage people to go to The Athletic, read can the Can I ask you one the, question off it? Yeah. What so What was the most eye-opening thing to you about this? Um, the most eye-opening thing about it for me is that Northwestern got one point. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I think that was somebody who either went to the school or at one point worked there. Was it Pat Fitzgerald? Be honest. I, I don't know. I, I didn't do all these, so I didn't see that one come in. All I can say is I've done a bunch of games at your alma mater, and I could see why I could definitely see why somebody would want to go to school there. And I think I could see why people would want to play. Why people would want to play for Pat Fitzgerald um, and that. But I'm also looking at it as not a not a 17, 18 year old. I mean. They have they have one of the most amazing facilities in the country now. Um, All right, we're not going to talk. I I, I want to no, but what I was just going to say is I was just going to say is like I have a feeling whoever that one point is was somebody looking at that and going, man, if if you go seven and five, eight and four, you're never going to get fired, right? It's not like I mean Pat Fitzgerald has had an amazing run, but it's not like he's taking teams to playoffs. He has had losing seasons. And he is a god there. So my the guess one, is that's that's it. The one thing that surprised me a little bit, Stu, was that A and M was not in the top eleven of these. 
And I can, well, on one hand, I can kind of understand it because I think you and I talked about this. There's been one 10-win season in like the last, I don't know, 20 years, and that was the Johnny Manziel wins the Heisman you know, season. So for whatever reason, Texas A&M has not been able, it has not translated all the money they have, all the facilities, the great home field environment, the huge recruiting base right near it. It is not translated into a lot of wins. And maybe Jimbo Fisher changes it. But I don't know if people like, yeah, nobody's really won there big. Maybe that's why. But just on paper, um, I was surprised that it was behind some of these other schools just because of everything it has. But maybe I shouldn't be because it's also now in the in the SEC West, which is no cakewalk. I, I don't know the rationale. I'm guessing it has to do with the lack of actually, you know, they have great, it's one of the all, you know, one of the best um, environments in college football. The fan support is unbelievable, but it just hasn't, for whatever reason, translated into many elite seasons. Maybe that's about to change. But yeah, you guys, I mean, the way you did it was kind of like the Heisman, right? You fill out your top five. And then, uh, so out of a hundred something ballots, they it looks like they only showed up on six they only showed up on six ballots, so um, they just weren't in anybody's really consideration for a top five job. One thing, um, one other aspect of this that was cool was how many coaches wanted to take part in this. And I was like, I, I mean, I don't know. I probably reached out to somewhere around 90 coaches, and I would say I heard back from 70 maybe. And that's all within, like, hours. It's not even, like, it wasn't like a week we did this. We did this within a day. Um, and I was, I just thought that was very cool. How many coaches wanted to weigh in on this real quick to the, we're running out of time, but to the mailbag, as always, you can send your questions to the audible pod at gmail.com. This one's from Clint Fingerlow, Bruce and Stu. For the most part, the playoffs have had four of the five, four of the power five conferences represented. As you know, lately, the one that's been left out has been the PAC 12 and all of the group of five, but looking at it now with the losses of Ohio state, Iowa state and Clemson. And the wins of UCLA and Oregon and the still undefeated season of Cincinnati, who's got a big one against Indiana this week. Which of the Power Five conferences would you pick to get left out of the playoffs this year? Ooh, good question, Stu. Um, I, have I, a, I have an answer, and it's it maybe a surprising one. Uh, I would say, I don't want to say Clemson, I mean ACC, because that means Clemson's going to lose another game. But the conference looks so bad right now with NC State getting blown out by Mississippi State. And we saw how Miami's looked in the first two weeks. And Florida State, man, that was bad. And North Carolina, that was bad. Um, But I just don't see Clemson losing to another team. So I will say the Big 12. You think the Big 12, so you think... The Big 12 has the best chance of being left out, I do. which would require Oklahoma to probably lose a couple games. Yeah, look, I I think just for what Clint said, um, and I'm not saying Oregon is going to skate through the you know the rest of the season undefeated, but Oregon plays at UCLA. Mm-hmm. Um, that I don't think could... they have to go undefeated. They've given yeah, themselves I... a cushion. Yeah, that's why I think right now, my feeling is there's a better chance for the Pac-12 than there will be for the Big 12. I could That could be totally blown up soon, but that's what, that's what I'll throw out there. You? I'm actually going to say the Big 10. Um, because Ohio State, to me, they lost that cushion the other day. 
And if they lose another game, they're probably out. And I'm still not sure there's somebody else in the Big Ten that's more playoff caliber than them. And we talked about Iowa on here, and we got very excited about Iowa in the wake of that uh, Iowa State win. And then with a couple days, I'm looking at it going, huh, they haven't done anything on offense in the first two games. It's been all defense and turnovers. and So they got to go They got to go to Iowa around Halloween, and they have Penn State at home. They have a tricky one after Kent next week where they play Colorado State, um, your Rams. So um, I don't know. I look at Iowa and think they could – I do think Iowa could be a playoff team. They could be, um, and Ohio State still could be as well. Uh, but, you know, for all the reasons you said, like I still think Oklahoma has a playoff run in them. Clemson, it just it's hard to, you know, they could happen, but there's not many teams on the schedule you can envision them losing to. Ohio State does have an easy stretch coming up here, but if that defense doesn't get better, they probably are going to lose another game to someone, maybe even someone they're not expecting them to. Um, from, speaking of Ohio State, from Patrick wider got it or weeder from lancaster pennsylvania love the podcast all the great work you two do how much of a long leash does ryan day give Kerry combs at ohio state the last two years have been below the standards expected at ohio state somebody asked me in the written mailbag today do i think he's going to make it through the season as defensive coordinator what do you think um i'm not so sure he will like there is a guy on that staff who was basically defensive coordinator not in title matt barnes when uh all the stuff was going on with the tragedy of the Jordan McNair death at, at Maryland. Matt Barnes really was kind of the de facto defense coordinator and did a pretty good job there. He's got more of a role now at Ohio State. He was hired, I think, as a special teams coordinator. It wouldn't surprise me if Matt Barnes ended up being much more hands-on with what they do defensively. Um, they were a – we talked about this. I mean, they were just in over their heads. Their players looked totally lost. Um, I don't think Ryan Day is gonna gonna ride with that that much longer if it doesn't get fixed. Ryan Day is pretty blunt about it at his press conference this week that it's been a pattern now and basically opened up the possibility of just about anything other than firing Kerry Combs that there might be changing responsibilities and uh, and whatnot. But yeah, we'll see. I think uh, you know. I would, you would think if you wanted to make that move or thought that move was going to be necessary, you'd go ahead and make it now uh, rather than waiting and seeing if maybe another disaster happens at some point. But um, definitely, I just, I, I can't frankly, I think maybe since Mike Stoops at Oklahoma, have can I remember a coordinator getting this much criticism? I mean, it's just like across the board, man, this guy's doing a terrible job. Uh, uh, can I say two words to you? Bo Pelini? I mean, <laughs> yeah, good point. Good point. That was just last year. Shouldn't have overlooked can, that. Can we end on this question from James and Raleigh? Hey, Stu and Bruce, as an NC State fan, I don't know how I should feel about the tenure of Dave Doran. It seems as though he has these games where his teams just fall on their face. This year it happened to be in week two. Doran has improved the talent at NC State. There is no doubt. He's arguably the best coach in program history. However, I cannot help but think he has hit the ceiling at NC State and it might be too, time to move on. Am I wrong in thinking that? This is an interesting question, Stu. I'm Dave Doran is one of the enigmas of, of all-time First of all, this line, he is arguably the best coach in program history. How is that possible? How could Dave Doran be the best coach? I know NC State is in Alabama. 
I, I feel like Chuck Amato had a better run at NC State. I mean, when when he at least they had Philip Rivers and they were they had one it, it, top ten. They had he went eleven and three in two thousand yeah, two. They were then, relevant. I mean, I feel yeah. like they were on big ESPN games all the time. NC State football hasn't been relevant, frankly, the entire time he's been there. Like nobody, I you have, name one big win NC State football. Now they've had winning records. They have put people in the NFL. But it just—it just—it's always felt very empty. It's not like they have some signature win over Clemson or somebody else. You know what's amazing? I knew they were going to lose at Mississippi State because that's the kind of—that's never the kind of games that they win. So, is he hit his ceiling? Yes, he has hit his ceiling. You know what's amazing to me? I never realized this until this morning. This program has never finished in the top ten ever. Wow. Like I—I I didn't realize that. Uh, Lou Holtz had him eleven. I think Chuck Amato had them. Where did Chuck Amato have them? Uh, 12, I'm sorry. So, But they've never finished higher than that. I mean, he's done a really good job with developing talent. I mean, they have a lot of really good players who've come through there. It just has not really been able to get it much further than that. I don't know Bruce, what I you- went on here. I looked up a list of NCC coaches, and given his statement about the best coach of all, I thought I was going to co- come on here and see Dave Dorn had like a 650 winning percentage. 533. About the same as Tom O'Brien before him, lower than Chuck Amato. They finished definitely the lower than Dick Sheridan. They finished in the top twenty zero times. They were twenty three in two thousand seventeen. I that might have been one of those years when Tennessee came sniffing around. Um, the greatest yeah. coach in NC State history by a country mile is Earl Edwards, who won five ACC championships between nineteen fifty four and nineteen seventy. I'm sorry, I don't mean to keep piling on. Um, I'm sure, Lonnie meant well with that statement. Long story short. It seems like Bruce and I both agree that um, NC State could do better than they're doing now. As always, you can send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. Enjoy the games this weekend. Auburn, Penn State, uh, Florida, Alabama, ASU, BYU is an under-the-radar one, and Cincinnati, Indiana, and more. We'll see you next time. (music) 